Hi, and welcome to I Think You're Interesting. I'm Todd Vanderwerf, the I, I Think You're Interesting. Sometimes you watch a new TV show and you're like, yeah, it's pretty good. Sometimes you watch a new TV show and you're like, yeah, I, I could see where that's really going to be something I love. And sometimes you get the screeners for a show and you just blaze through them all. Even if you could see like, oh, this could be better, this could be different, etc., etc. You watch and and just you just love it, and that's what happened to me with the new Sundance Now show, this close, which I honestly was not expecting to enjoy as much as I did. It's yet another dramedy about people living out their lives in in Los Angeles, and I know you're probably tuning out in droves right now from those very words, but it is clever and well observed, and really smart and really funny. And the big thing that I really loved about it was that it told me a story I haven't seen on television before. And and that, to me, is something that's always really exciting. And in this case, the story is the story of two really good friends who have a deeply codependent relationship. Uh, they're played by the show's creators, Shoshana Stern and Josh Feldman. But here's the other thing about it. They're both deaf, both here in our reality and then in the show as well. And what I think that the show has done that's really smart is it talks about how these characters who can use American Sign Language to sort of seal themselves off in a bubble from everybody else, they're using that as a way to talk about how codependent relationships can become a bubble that seals you off from everything else. It is a show that is uh, really thoughtful about these and other issues, and it's also beautifully directed by the filmmaker Andrew Ahn, who came from indie film, uh, the director of the movie Spa Night. But I had the three of them in a room, and we're joined by the sign language interpreters Robbie Sutton and Elizabeth Green, who will be speaking for Josh and Shoshana. And the fun thing about this episode, which I teased in last week's episode, is we recorded in what's essentially a wine cellar. Like, not really. Like, it, it was the wine room at the uh, Royce Steakhouse at the Langham Huntington Hotel in Pasadena, California. So we had the restaurant right there. So you might hear, like, people having conversations and stuff. But we're in a room full of wine. I want you to imagine this and imagine kind of, like, the, the people passing by. It was a very weird and intimate setting, and I really enjoyed it. And I think we're going to record all the episodes there from now on and also have some wine while we record. So go ahead. Pull up a chair, imagine yourself in the wine room right alongside us, and uh, I think you're really going to like this discussion. My guests today are Andrew Ahn, uh, Josh Feldman, and Shoshana Stern, who are with the show This Close, which is on Sundance Now. Josh and Shoshana created, wrote, executive produced... Uh, probably did many, many more things on this production. But I wanted to start by asking them, uh, what was sort of the impetus for this series and like, how did it come together? Well, we became friends first. And first of all, I'm a writer and she's an actress. So first we thought, why don't we just try to work on something together? Like develop a project for Shoshana to act in. And this was the first time, well, the first time we wrote together was we wrote a private eye kind of story. Mm. We started to pitch it around town and people kept saying like, I don't get it. Why is she deaf? Maybe she sees colors or she sees ghosts and that would make sense that she's deaf. Right. They just didn't get the idea. Why is this actor, why is this character deaf? So we thought, well, we should do something a little bit more personal, closer to home, so to speak. And so that's definitely our friendship. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. That friendship really uh, comes through in the series. How long have you two known each other? And like, uh, what were the, how close are these characters to your real selves? We really haven't known or been best friends for all that long. What would you say, like which four is, issues? Yes, which really makes me mad because he wasn't even at my wedding. <laughs> <laughs> he would have been in my wedding. Mm. But that's fascinating too, because really sometimes, you know, we're talking about how long you know somebody, right? Or how well you know the person. But sometimes it's just that connection. And, you know, what that connection inspires in the other person. So sometimes, you know, between two people, you have something and there's more or it's more important or stronger than when people are further apart, if you will, from one another. 
So we became so close that we actually kind of push each other to try new things. So I've pushed her to write more and she's pushed me to act. And so that really, that's the real life version of ourselves. And then with Kate and Michael, they push each other to be better people, even though sometimes it takes them a little bit longer than we actually do take to, to actually become better in real life. Yeah. And I think Kate and Michael's friendship, how close they are, we are just as close in real life as they are. But mm. Kate and Michael as people, um, apart from that friendship, we're very, very different than they are sure. from that from them, I should say. Well, what are some things you're drawing from in your experience as uh, deaf Americans? Like, what are some things that you've drawn from that have made it into the show? Because this really made me think about what it would be like to be deaf in a different way than anything I've ever seen before. Like the airplane incident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, when the one episode one, when Michael is... Uh, thrown off the plane. That actually happened to my brother Mm. in real life. My brother wasn't drunk, but uh, he was on an airplane and the flight attendant thought he should put on his seatbelt before (coughs) everyone else on the airplane Mm. did because he was deaf. And he's like, no, I'm fine. I know how to put on my seatbelt and I'll wait until everyone puts on their seatbelt. And they saw him as difficult and they literally threw him off the plane. Well, I think a lot of things that happen on the show that are directly tied to the deaf experience, like how we interact with hearing people, we definitely draw from our own personal lives. But the romantic stuff, the emotional ups and downs and peaks, like we definitely wrote that, created that on our mm-hmm. own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Andrew, uh, mm-hmm. well, let's get you in here. Sure. <laughs> what, what brought you to this material? How did you uh, sort of come to it? And uh, what was interesting to you about working in television at this time? You're a filmmaker. You've made your films as well. So. Yeah. Um, I uh, was um, contacted by Ellie Wen, who's an executive um, at Super Deluxe. Mm. And she's a friend of mine. And um, she said that, you know, we developed the show um, and it's a web series that was at Sundance um, in their episodic showcase. And now we're making these half hour episodes and we'd love to talk to you about it. And um, I saw the web series and I met Josh and Shoshana mm. and I was just struck by um, their depth of friendship mm. and the chemistry that they have with each other um, and how. Uh, that was so clear on screen. You know, I just never had seen something so alive. You know, this friendship seemed so um, rife for um, opportunity. Um, And in the web series, it was more comedic. And then in this uh, version um, of the show is going to be more dramatic. And Mm. that to me uh, was exciting. I wanted to get into kind of the the darker aspects of a super close friendship yeah. and, um, and, and also just about growing up, you know, I think um, uh, so much of the show is about trying to balance your personal life with your professional life, your romantic relationships with your friendships. And, and that's stuff that I'm trying to figure out right now too. Yeah. And so yeah. it really resonated with me. I just want to pause briefly to tell the listeners about the room we're in, which is lined with bottles of wine on every wall uh, sadly, I'm sure they all cost thousands of dollars or I would break one out and we would have a great time. Um, <laughs> but it's a wonderful room. I'm going to record all my episodes in here from now on. <laughs> um, this show, this close, uh, maybe for any of you, but I guess we'll start with Josh and Shoshana. It's like, it is really insightful about codependent relationships and how they can be good and how they can be bad and how they could, like, you can hurt each other and you can help each other. And tell me a little about uh, the conversations you had that sort of talking about like how to make this relationship um, close, but also at times suffocating because of that. I'll start off with a funny story. Mm-hmm. Like early on in our friendship, while we were still becoming close friends, um, it was Valentine's Day and um, I had just stopped seeing one guy. It was bad news. And so it was Valentine's Day. So I bumped into him at a bar mm-hmm. We went home together, blah, blah, blah. But the next day we were going to have dinner together, Shoshana and I. And I was like, I'm not going to tell Shoshana because I knew that what, you know, what she would say, her reaction. I felt like maybe she would judge me. So I told myself, okay, do not tell Shoshana anything about last night. So I got into the restaurant, you know, walked right in, walked walked to the table and said, I slept with my ex last night. You know, I told her everything. Everything just came (laughs) spilling out. And it was like, and she looked at me, she's like, that's it. That's all. That's all you have to say. And I was like, yeah. So that was really a healthy experience. But what happened if you don't tell your friend something that's really something very important to you? And that's kind of the scary thing that we touched on in the show. I think we were really drawn to the idea of uh, communication. I think at its heart, that's what the show is. You know, it's our show in one word. It's about communication. So two friends that connect because they speak the same language, but that's also a metaphor for the whole show itself. 
like, you know, uh, like love languages. You've heard of those. Some people mm. express themselves better showing their love through giving people things, mm -hmm. gifts. Some people show their love by words, by telling someone how much they mean to them. And so if you don't speak the same love language or any language, the relationship often doesn't work out. Mm. Same thing with friendships as well. Sometimes you think you're being a good friend because you're not sharing something with someone that you feel might hurt them. But then the other person is in fact hurt because you didn't tell them. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens, you know, when you're that close or close enough to someone that you feel the other person should know something like you should know better, mm. for example. But when you actually look at yourself, like, do you even know what language you're speaking mm. or what language you want to be spoken in? Most of the time, no, you know, I'm still trying to figure it out for myself. Even with my husband, I've been with him for 10 years. Mm. Mm. So, yeah. Well, one of my favorite moments of the whole show happens at the very finale when Kate says to Michael, my life is your life too. And that's really sad to me. It's a sad moment because Kate really sees them sharing a life together. And Michael is so into his own problems that, you know, he sees himself as living a different life, which I think is super sad. But um, in, in one form or another, friendships go through that. Like we live different lives, but also we share the same life. And I think that's a really important thing to, like, that's a really important part of our show. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, the, uh, in a lot of friendships, there's more in the relationship than some friends really expect to know everything that's happening in your life. In certain friendships, what's going on with your work? You didn't tell me that you booked a job. You didn't tell me that you were going to someplace. Why didn't you tell me? Why, why, why? And then another person in a friendship really wants, you know, to explain how they feel. They mm. want to talk about feeling about getting that, how they feel about getting the particular job or whatever. So I'm like, sometimes I'm, I can be so annoyed with some person, like, Oh, <laughs> I'm going to. Sorry, Zach just came in. Zach Gilford from our show. <laughs> um, yes. Just poked his head in. Um, yeah, I was going to say Zach Gilford from Friday Night Lights just plastered himself against the wall, <laughs> uh, to the glass wall to look in at us. That's as good a time as any to say you got some great actors in this show. Uh, you got Zach, you got Cheryl Hines, you got some other folks who mm -hmm. people will know from other projects. Tell me about convincing people to work on you know, a show that's going to be on Sundance now, which is not always the platform people have heard of, you know? We were just incredibly lucky. Absolutely. And I think that in most cases, if not all cases, the actors were our first choice for the role. Mm. You know, in some cases, I even saw their faces, you know, as I was <laughs> typing out the script, you know, which maybe is a little creepy to say, hey, I've been <laughs> living with you for six weeks in my mind. But uh, so... <laughs> Um, you know, you'd have to ask them, but it was, we were just so very, very lucky, um, that the story had resonance with them and it was something they wanted to do. Well, we had a very specific idea of what those characters look like and, and, and we wanted to tailor those characters to the actors that we didn't want to tailor them to the actors that we cast, but, but the, fortunately the actors were able to just to fit in like Marley Matlin, who's a pioneer for deaf actors played the role of my mom, which is like crazy, right? Like I could stand with her in the parking lot during that one scene. And it was like, we're act I'm like, I'm acting across, what the fuck is happening right now? I'm acting across <laughs> from Marley Matlin, which was super fun. And it's but like such crazy. a great performance. I love that scene so much. I, I have to say, I don't think that, you know, we were lucky. I think it's that Josh and Shoshana are so inspiring and just really um, got people so excited about the project. You know, <laughs> the team that we put together um, you know, is just uh, so fantastic. And, and we really felt like uh, it was, um, there was no egos, you know, like people knew that the show was something bigger and, and there was this responsibility to um, give it our all. And so, you know, uh, Cheryl Hines, Marley Matlin, Colt Prattis, Zach Guilford, it's just like such a fantastic cast. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm so, so thankful um, as a director to have worked with everyone. When you, uh, Josh and Shoshana, when you think about creating the show, obviously you want it to be an entertaining show. You want it to be a funny show. You want it to have moments of heart and, and humor and things like that. But also there is, this is like the first show in American television history that's created, run, et cetera, by uh, deaf people. And what do, sort of did you feel is your responsibility to your own community in terms of telling the story and then also like, Storytelling needs conflict. It needs things that aren't necessarily uh, as, quote unquote, inspiring. So where did you see the line between responsibility and then telling a great story? 
I don't think we could take on that responsibility, really. Um, you know, we writing the story that we did. Because it's there are just so many different kinds of experiences within our community right. that we felt, if we felt responsible to meet every individual specific experience, we just couldn't tell the story and that we felt would be honest and raw and uh, as it is. So what we did was try to tell two very specific individual experiences and uh, both as deaf people and just their, as their identities. Um, but we wanted to make sure it was honest and real. Mm-hmm. We felt that if we could find the honesty, then we would be doing the community a service. Yeah, and this story is not about the deaf experience, I should say, but it's experience that Kate and Michael are having and they happen to be deaf. Mm-hmm. So, like, even, I mean, because we couldn't tell the deaf experience. I mean, the two of us, our perspectives, our experiences as being deaf people really is who we are, but I have no idea what other deaf people's experiences really individually are. So I couldn't, I could just tell this, the, the story based on my own experience and perspective. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think as, as a director, um, you know, working with Josh and Shoshana on these scenes, um, we, we never wanted the reason, you know, behind an action to be, oh, because these characters are deaf. Sure. You know, Michael right. drinks because he has a family history of alcoholism and he's heartbroken. Like Kate doesn't ask for promotion because she's intimidated by her boss and she hasn't found a client that she's passionate about working with. If both of those things were, oh, Michael drinks and Kate doesn't ask for promotion because they're deaf, this show would have been really bad. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, it had to be about the people. It really had to be about the people. And, and so, um, you know, really focusing on that gave us fully fleshed out human beings. And that was really fun to, to, to film and, and, and to show on, on screen. Right. Right. One of the hardest things to do in television is to expand a web series to a TV show. And, uh, everyone I've talked to has a different answer to how they approach that question. So I'm wondering how the three of you approached the question of going from, you know, probably like a five minute thing to making 25 minute episodes of TV? What did you keep? What did you have to kind of set aside? And and like, how did you give this a larger world to exist in? We threw everything out. <laughs> and, and, and Pretty much. Yeah, we did. Actually, and we added more much. sex. <laughs> yes, a lot more sex. More sex. <laughs> but I think that was the beauty of it because we didn't want to feel like it was the two of us. It's not our show. We didn't want to feel that way because we had so many wonderful people like Andrew who, you know, doesn't give himself enough credit ever. He was our dream director. When we started thinking about bringing a web series to TV, we made a list of our, you know, dream directors who in the million years could we get if we could. Um, But we're big fans of Spa Night and his eye, his ability to communicate things without even any dialogue. That is a very specific experience of, um, you know, being in America, a microcosm of America. That whole thing was just, it wasn't preachy. It didn't, it didn't exposit, it wasn't expository. So, you know, when you see it on, I, I can see it on paper, his name on a piece of paper. And then when we found out he actually wanted to do it, I don't know, I felt like, okay, let's just make something brand new together, all of us on this team. Mm. So every actor who came on board, we wanted to, you know, give their character to them and let them create it. And the executive producers, we were lucky enough to have join us. We wanted their view to be a part of this. So really, it was all of us, um, like we were the parents almost, you know, we could see a little bit of us in every single uh, member of our team. Uh, We wanted to tell the story that was not just a deaf story, not a gay story or a story about a woman, a story about a man. We wanted to tell the human story. Mm. And the more perspectives we had on the human story, the better or the stronger the story we felt we would have. Mm. So um, that's how we really got it translated from web series to TV. And if I can follow up on that, like the transition from a web series to the television show was like, at our, we always had an angle in mind that, that well, like in the process of making the web series, we had to make, you know, five or seven minute episodes, which we had to pick very specific situations, which were easy to tackle, right? In five to seven minutes. Like it was it was easier. But life is messier than five to seven minutes within color, within degree. And so with the television show, we could add a lot more element, a lot more layers to the story. And so 
for me or for us to bring this to television was the end goal in mind. And we were so lucky to have actually gotten to that Mm -hmm. with this team. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew, did you have more to say on that? I I was just going to say it felt really organic, you know, and, and, and a lot of it was just based on, um, uh, Josh and Shoshana's interests, like where they wanted to see these characters. And, you know, I think, um, uh, you know, one of my favorite episodes is our Palm Springs episode. And just to see, Me too. <laughs> just to see like where these characters came from, like the backstory is, is, you know, I remember reading it for the first time, just being like, wow, like this is going to be a fantastic episode. Um, Thanksgiving, you know, all this stuff with Michael's family. Um, it, it just felt really organic to, you know, what Josh and Shoshana wanted to, to, um, you know, reveal about these characters' lives. Right, right. Andrew, I want to talk about one filmmaking choice I found really interesting, which is the use of sound, um, which is when the characters are signing, you, you know, you obviously you hear their hands moving, but also you hear kind of ambient noise. Like I'm thinking of a scene in the Thanksgiving episode, I believe where uh, Michael and his brother are speaking and you hear bird sound, you hear all this other noise that maybe normally you wouldn't hear if people were talking or you'll hear like a fluorescent bulb hum or something like that. What were you, you know, was that, was that an intentional choice and sort of what was behind making that choice? Cause I thought it was, I thought it was weirdly beautiful in some ways. Thank you. Yeah. That we worked so hard on the sound design. I oh. worked harder on the sound design um, for this show than I've done on any other project. And then it's, you know, it seems a little bit ironic because right. it's a show where the two main characters are deaf, but, um, you know, it, it was really important, um, to me that, uh, that we experience the sound of the show, um, uh, in a subjective way. Um, you know, uh, Josh and Shoshana, um, can talk more about just like how, um, you know, the world isn't silent for them, right. you know? And, and so I wanted to um, bring these conversations that we had and put them on screen. And that meant actually a lot of really specific, um, difficult, beautiful sound work that our, our sound designer, Roland Vaj, you know, did such an amazing job with. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you talk a little bit about that uh, in terms of the world not being silent and conveying that through filmmaking and, and, and TV techniques? Well, most hearing people assume that being deaf means there's the lack of sound. And, you know, they show deaf people on the screen and they'll cut out all sound altogether. And I've never lived in a world that is silent. Like right now, while you all are talking, I was moving my hands and I can feel the vibrations my hands are making or feeling my, my, my skin rub against the fabric of my of, of my body. So, you know, you know, oftentimes there's people who will ask me questions, what's my relationship with sound? Like the Blair brothers went into great detail about that and mm. wanted to figure out what my experience was. And Kate, what was your, ex- I mean, Shoshana, what was Kate's experience with sound? Yeah, it's, it's actually like silence is the invention of sound. Mm. Um, you don't know what silence is if you can't hear, mm. right? So you don't know what black is if you can't see color, mm. So it's never as simple as a complete absence or loss of silence. It's a different relationship to, to sound, you know, to what you would call sound. <laughs> For us, it's more vibratory. It's more vibrations. I'm always feeling my, my blood rush through my body. I'm always feeling my heart pound. Uh, always. I'm always more conscious of my thoughts because I don't have sound to distract me. Mm. And also because Kate is hard of hearing. I'm hard of hearing too in real life. I think she does experience sound. I experience sound, but I know it's not natural. Right. Like even though I've never heard what you would call natural sound, so I described that experience to them. I did to the Blair brothers and I, it felt very robotic at mm. first. Um, I wanted people to try to understand what it's like to live that way. Mm. And I thought like often people say, Oh, she can hear some things, but she can't hear all things mm. or she can understand this person speaking, but she, that means she understands all people all the time. She can lip read everybody in every situation. Mm. And for that reason, I felt Kate had a more difficult time even than Michael does. I think people might make the assumption that's the opposite. Kate has it easier in life than Michael does because he can't speak at all. But with him, people know that he's deaf. He's always 
that they have to try with him. Mm-hmm. They have to try. But with Kate, even with me in real life, people forget sometimes, you know, that it's just not, they're not aware. They forget to look straight at me when they're talking. And I've never really seen that portrayed before mm. on the screen. And that was really important to me. So I wanted to have, we had some beautiful, I had some beautiful conversations with Roland, with Blair Brothers, the Blair Brothers, and with Andrew as well. Uh, And I'm so very lucky. I feel that they saw it, you know, they saw it as a really cool way to approach something creatively, even as hearing people, you Mm -hmm. know, who live in a world of sound. So I really trusted them uh, and they ran with it. I didn't want to breathe over their shoulder. I felt the conversation that we had was was enough. I that satisfied me for what for expressing what I wanted to say, and then what they came back to me with was just. I mean, it gave me chills. Mm, mm. Like, oh my gosh, you know, it's kind of like, I, it's what would it sound like if I could hear differently? You know, I could hear something in a different way. That was just, uh, I don't know, an out of body experience for me. Right, right. I'm thinking of the of moment in episode two where uh, the uh, characters are at Kate's work and she can sort of, like when people are speaking and she can see their lips, she can sort of understand what's happening and then things fuzz out. And that to me captured something I'd never really thought about. And I'm wondering about coming up with that moment, both uh, at the script stage and then when you were in production, because that must have been like an interesting thing, an interesting challenge to have to tackle on set and then again in post-production. The script? I mean... All of all of the dialogue was scripted. Everything mm, yeah, in that yeah. was, and it was really fun for us to, as actors coming in, uh, or to see the auditions for everybody, the actors that came into audition to try to read the script. <laughs> so it was really amazing and so much fun. Yeah, Andrew, did you want yeah, to say something was, about that? It was just. Uh, I think what I loved about that moment was like, yes, it's um, uh, it's it's really funny, and I love you know when Kate kind of. Uh, is asked by Stella, like, oh, like, did you get that? And Kate's like, yeah, totally, you know. And um, and and it's a it's a great comedic moment, but it, it also just shows a lot about uh, you know the struggle for Kate's character and um, and how she uh, presents herself, you know. Mm-hmm. And 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 you see later in the panel, it's like this this understanding of who she is um, at work, and and you know it. it kind of deeply unsettles her in a way that um, that Michael then needs to kind of console and talk to her about. You know, what I, I, I love that um, that moment uh, kind of opened up the character for us. And, and it's really, um, you know, in the show, um, such a great introduction to, you know, Kate's professional life and, and her aspirations, you know. I think after that point, you're just so excited for her to like actually like do the work that you know that she can do in the PR office. Right. Right. Great. Well, uh, I want to talk a little bit about communication, which you said is a theme of the show, because I'm interested in the way you use levels of communication, which is to say that some characters can only sign. uh, Kate can speak, but also sign. And she reads lips to some degree. And then we have things like texting, which are, you know, entirely visual uh, and everybody sort of communicates the same way through texting. And then you have characters like Danny who uh, can hear and doesn't have such great sign language. And I'm, I'm wondering uh, sort of how you built those various levels and then conveyed them to the audience because that could get really tricky and complicated, but I feel like you lay it out really simply and, and beautifully and, um, and like how much that sort of uh, those levels of communication were drawn from like real experiences. Well, at the heart of the show, it's really, it's a bilingual show. If I could say that, like it's told in both English and American sign language. And so I think it's normal for people who are bilingual to sometimes have more proficiency in one language versus the other, Mm. especially with hearing people who are picking up sign language. That's the case. Hearing people, some hearing people pick it up really quickly and some people don't pick up sign language very quickly. So we wanted to have two hearing characters that had different fluencies in sign language. And so, and it was tied to the the deaf people that they're with because Danny's sign, signing skills didn't have to be very good because Kate could compensate where he lacked. Whereas Ryan had to sign better because Michael required that. So it just depended on the type of person that these hearing people were dating. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it depended on the fluency of language. Yeah, communication often is a reflection of ourselves. How we communicate is a reflection of the relationship itself. So that's why I love the Palm Springs episode so much, because we get to see 
you know, early on in Danny and Kate's relationship, you know, it's brand new to them. And we see Danny, he's really trying at it. And Kate doesn't even have to ask him to sign. He just, it's, you know, he's really just in touch with her in that way. And then as time goes by, you know, things come up. They have their own issues individually. And that just sort of comes to the forefront of everything, like mm-hmm. everything. And his his commitment, his motivation, his enthusiasm about learning sign, you know, by default, I think, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily a conscious choice that Danny makes. It's, it's something that he just, he, it's becomes less and less of a priority for him in the moment. Mm. But for Kate, it's always that priority still in Danny's defense. You know, she never communicates that to him mm. really. I don't think she even knows that's what she needs mm. until Michael tells her, you know, you're always going to be the deaf girl. Mm, you know, mm. it's the simplest thing in the world. It seems so obvious, but to her, it's a revelation. It's like, oh, that's right. Yeah. Mm. So, well, I think it's important to keep in mind that when those characters are bilingual and they're in highly emotional states, they're going to refer back or fall back onto their their primary language, their first language. So Kate prefers to sign whether she's with whomever. So when she's emotional, she's going to fall back to her sign language. So when, when Kate and Michael are together, they can be emotional and whatever in sign language in their most comfortable language. But when they go back to their partners, they start to fall back into like whatever language they're most comfortable right. with. Right. It's true for Danny too, though. It's, it's the exact same thing. You know, when he gets upset, when he gets emotional, he completely, you know, he doesn't, he's trying to get the words out. He has such a hard time when he's trying to express himself in sign language. It's the hardest thing. It was a great thing as a director um, uh, that like, when Kate decides to use sign language versus when she speaks to Danny, like we, we use that as a dramatic choice and, Mm. you know, and, and uh, what language they use as a reflection uh, of their mood and, you know, who they're talking to. Like it it was just these levels of languages, uh, language were um, uh, an opportunity to, to dive into the characters and and the moments. And so, uh, it was a really like fun thing to play with, and a really uh, like authentic and and you know true to life kind of thing to play with. Well, Andrew, Andrew, as more of our communication moves to on screens, to text, to things like that, it's a real question for filmmakers: How are you going to present text on screen? And you have several different kinds of text <laughs> you have to present on screen here, from text message bubbles to subtitles, mm-hmm. things like that. Tell me a little bit about finding the visuals you wanted to use to uh, make those, you know, instantly recognizable, but also not like too obtrusive. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of text on screen in the show, you know, so uh, there's the subtitles, there's the text messages, and then there's also closed captioning. And, mm-hmm. and how do we design all that to, um, work seamlessly for a viewing experience. And, and we worked really, really hard, yeah. you know, to make it look good and to make it feel intuitive. Um, but I think what's uh, so great is that, you know, because we worked hard, it feels really seamless. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, um, you know, there are many people who, you know, might be afraid of like reading subtitles, but actually, you know, it, it enhances the experience mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's funny to see a scene where like there is a subtitle, but you don't necessarily need it because you can tell from the performances exactly what's going on. Um, you know, we, uh, we didn't think of it as, uh, an obstacle, but more as an opportunity. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, this is not, I would say uh, a political show. But it's going to be read sort of in those terms because people are often read shows about underrepresented communities in terms of politics. And I think there is one moment in episode two when you're talking about uh, actors who are not disabled or differently able playing characters who are. And like there's a whole discussion about this question. And I'm wondering how much of that comes from your own experiences as, as people who are deaf and, and working in Hollywood and like how, like how, how close is that to your own views? I guess I would say. Oh, it has everything to do with it. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I would like to say it's a work of fiction, but it's not, you know, that everything doesn't really happen that way, but it does happen. And I can see why it does, you know, often they need a name. They, you know, they need a marquee name to, to sell a film. So I think that's the number one reason, you know, we've got to get so-and-so in here. Mm -hmm. We need this particular name in order to sell the film. 
Um, but at the same time, because it's really not, there aren't that many roles out there. There really aren't. So I don't think it's possible for almost any disabled actor to become a name mm. with, uh, with the amount of roles that are actually out there for them. So it's really a catch-22. Mm. Mm-hmm. So right now, people are trying to normalize what we see on television, they're trying to make it, they're trying to represent the world that we actually see and live in. But I think often disability is seen as a different conversation than the rest of diversity. Mm. I think uh, they're basically the same conversation, but, and I'm hoping that the way that we see diversity, which I think is getting better in Hollywood, I'm hoping that disability, the perception of disability follows in that vein. Mm. 20% of the population has some sort or form of the disability, but actors with disabilities make up 2% wow. of everything that we see on, on stage. So there's a huge disparity there. But at the same time, how do we expect people then to see what's not even there mm-hmm. for them to see? So I think we experience so much with people, this idea that, oh, gosh, I never thought about this particular in- this thing before. And I, and I say to them, how could you? Mm. It would be impossible for you to come up with this on your own. It's not a part of your lived experience. If you're not a deaf person, if you're not a gay person, if you're not a woman, it's just hard, you know, it's to realize, oh, gosh, you know what? The way that I see the world isn't the way that everybody sees the world. You know, it's a very personal thing. Well, I also think another reason why we don't see enough representation in terms of our disabled community is that you're going to need us to tell those stories. Mm. Just like communities of color need to tell those stories, the stories from their community. They need to tell their own stories. And there's just not enough disabled people who are writing those stories or or working behind the camera. And so when we reach the like the number of equivalent number of, of disabled writers or something, I'm, I'm hoping that suddenly the story, the number of stories starts to increase mm-hmm. as well. And that's mm-hmm. what's so special about this uh, show is that, um, you know, Josh and Shoshana are both, you know, behind the camera and in front of the camera. And just to see the amount of um, talent that exists in the show, you know, from the deaf community, Nal DeMarco, like Marley Matlin, um, I hope it shows people you know, in the industry, it's like, oh, you have a deaf character mm. uh, in in your in your story. Um, you can cast deaf actors, you know, um, mm-hmm. and and you have a story about a, a deaf person. Like maybe you can hire a writer who's deaf to bring that level of authenticity to um, to the to the story. And so for me, I think the show is 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 making a statement. You know that. Um, uh, the industry uh, is changing and and needs to change. Mm-hmm. This is maybe going to seem like a tangent, but I promise it's not. Um, we, we've talked a lot about transgender uh, performers and how when cisgender performers play roles of trans people, the story is almost always about the transition, you know, uh, re-expressing their gender more in the way they would like. And I think about when we see stories about people with disabilities, it's almost always uh, someone who is not disabled playing a character who becomes disabled and then like has to overcome and be inspiring to the rest of us. And it's often based on a true story. And some of those movies and TV shows and books are very good. They're very interesting. But I am wondering, like, because of, you know, like a lot of these are written and directed by people who are not disabled, like, what do they get wrong? What do they miss what are the stories they're not telling? Because, you know, you're still just living your lives like anybody else. Like your your life is not just that you're deaf, you know? Well, I think oftentimes those stories are told by able-bodied individuals. Mm. And so it's all about the journey. It's all about the transformation, the learning curve. The loss, the mm. loss of right. something. Right. And so for us, I mean, so, it's so much more than that. You know, in our everyday life, being deaf people, deafness is just one of my everyday experiences. Mm -hmm. But my story being told by somebody else, it becomes my only lived experience. And so every minute about my life when it's told by an able-bodied person is all about the deaf experience. And that's not the real story about me. I think it's what happens with actors, too. I mean, sure, you're a brilliant actor. There are many brilliant actors out there who are amazing at what they do. But if you're playing something that's so far out of your experience, like being deaf, you have to think about it. Like, how would I respond to this if I were deaf? You know, in every moment, how would I fall in love with someone if I were deaf? How would I do this or that other thing? And it's not how you live your life with any 
sort of disability, with any sort of specific experience. For example, transgender people. You know, it's not about the loss of some thing. It's not the loss of gender mm-hmm. or cisgender. It's the gain of something there. So with deaf people, I feel it's not about the loss of sound. It's the gain. It's this. It's a kind of life. It's a visually based life mm. that often is overlooked by the general public. And even with sound design, you know, focusing on the loss of sound is so often a choice that's made by sound designers when there's so many other things that you could use visually to expand something, how to to, dis, to uh, display how the language itself is a visual media. Mm-hmm. Andrew, early in the discussions about this show, like what were conversations you had, what were questions you had, like, were there any questions that you were like, maybe embarrassed to have, or you thought were too stupid that you still had to ask, like, how did you, as someone who can hear, uh, come to a more authentic understanding of what this show was attempting to do? Yeah, I think for me, the, the you know, this is the beauty of television is that yeah. you have more time. Mm-hmm. And so you can tell more complete, complex stories. Sure. You know, I think if this were just a 90 minute movie, um, it would be, you know, a, a more reduced, re- reductive you know, uh, portrayal of, of Kate and Michael. Um, and so for me, I, I wanted to know who these people were, mm-hmm. you know, like, and I was curious about, you know, like, um, what are Kate's aspirations? Like, you know, uh, what does Michael want in these hookups? Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, what is their history with their families? Like, you know, these were the the questions that I knew that if I, I focused on as a director, um, we would have a show that wasn't just a deaf show, you know, Mm -hmm. that it would be a show um, that people uh, could see themselves in that would resonate with so many different audiences. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I made it a point not to kind of dwell on, you know, the deafness and the way that, you know, uh, Josh and Shoshana wanted the spirit of the show to to be. Um, You know, I I think my stupid questions were kind of like, oh, like, um, how do I signal action cut? You know, things, (laughs) things like that. But like, you know, you just kind of wave and, you know, uh, yeah. we have interpreters. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that was the great thing about this set was that Josh and Shoshana were so generous. And, and you know, if we did do something that was stupid, they would let us know. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and we really tried to create this environment of, um, you know, wanting to learn from each other. You know, uh, we had on our call sheet every day um, an ASL word of the day, you mm-hmm. know, and so it's things like, like toilet, like yeah. ready, like actor, yeah. you know, and, um, and I don't think that it made any of us very fluent, but, you know, it was just the spirit of um, trying mm-hmm. and learning um, uh, that really, I think you can kind of feel in the, in the kind of generosity of the show. Mm-hmm. Well, Josh and Shoshana, there are so many really great moments. I'm thinking especially in episode three with one of uh, Kate's coworkers who kind of, unleashes some microaggressions, let's say, for lack of a better word. And I'm wondering, like, what are what are the experiences that you have frequently that you wish you didn't have to have, that you wish, like, people would understand, okay, this is mildly offensive to uh, be asking this, to be saying this, to be doing this, um, but it comes up all the time. I think you can't offend me, really. It's <laughs> impossible. But I think one thing, it's this very small thing. I really wish that people understood that they don't need to come up to me to show me that they know how to fingerspell the alphabet. Mm-hmm. Oh, you have places to go, right? We've got things to do. <laughs> I mean, so many times I'm just, I'm running to get a coffee or I'm whatever, I'm and. People are like, oh, oh, you're deaf. And I'll say, yeah. And they go, oh, I know the alphabet. Let me show it to you. Here's A, here's a B. And I'm, I'm always like, thank you. Wonderful. Great for you. I'm really happy. I appreciate that you're trying to learn. And I have to go right this minute. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> that's one thing. I mean, really, most of the time, I don't think people really intend to offend. Sometimes, you know, it's the weirdest moments that happen. But most of the time, people do have good intentions. Mm. And I don't mind that we have to go through that because I feel it's a way to educate. It's a way to have a conversation with someone else. If you feel offended in every moment, then it's so easy just for that to become anger. Mm. 
And anger then becomes like a cancer, really. It's, you know, it eats you alive. And you can't create from that space. You can't create from anger and fury. But really, that's the reason why I started writing in the first place. I started writing because I felt like I was becoming increasingly frustrated with uh, the narrative that was being created for me about my experience on the screen. So I was like, okay, great. You are either going to let this eat you alive, devour you, and really it was going to squelch your lake, ex- you know, extinguish your light altogether, or you can do something with this. And I needed to put this frustration somewhere, and I wrote, put it into my writing. And I started very awkwardly. Um, and I kept that secret for a really, really long time that I was even doing it. And then I met Josh and I'm like, Hey, I'm sort of, he told me he was a writer. I'm like, Oh, I'm sort of a writer myself. I kind of came out to him. And so I wrote, you know, uh, I showed him what I wrote and he said, you know, do you want to write with me? And all of a sudden it was, uh, it came from that, um, organically. I, I think you have to make a choice mm-hmm. whether with those things and how you face them. I think, you know, it's interesting being in the minority, the assumption is that we have the responsibility to educate the majority. Mm. And so one of my most common experiences that frustrate me, I'll call it the oh moment, when I pull out my phone to order something at Starbucks, you know, the cashier looks at me like with that face of, oh, no. Mm. And I'll say like, I can't hear you all gesture. I can't hear you. And they'll just give me that face of, oh. Mm. And I know that it's a new experience for so many people, but really, do you need to go like, Oh, you know, like you can kind of keep that inside, make that facial expression like an inside facial expression. Um, So, I I mean, I know that I'm in the minority and there's a small number of us, but we do have a a responsibility, I guess, to educate the majority. And that is. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. we do. I really uh, have been thinking about you'd say, and I think episode, maybe episode two, Danny is talking with Ryan and he points to Kate and Michael and says, well, they're in the bubble. And what he's specifically referring to is that you're signing with each other. But all the time we have people we know who go into a bubble and they just like start speaking to each other and it feels impenetrable to anybody else. And I'm wondering about a, like I think that's kind of a brilliant metaphor for relationships in a lot of ways. And I'm wondering about how that idea sort of grew and then, and B, I guess this is for Andrew, like how you depict visually when Kate and Michael are just like cut off from everybody else in that way. I think for me, you know, uh, what I wanted to show was this intimacy between these two characters. Um, And so that meant a lot of uh, two shots, you know, Mm -hmm. seeing both Kate and Michael in the frame together at the same time, Um, you know, not isolating them from each other, but kind of isolating them within, you know, the, uh, the frame Mm -hmm. Um, and just seeing how as a unit um, there's a flow and a, and an ease in their conversation. Um, And so it was, it was, it was really fun to think of um, this show as um, as as bubbles, as mm-hmm. pairings. You know, like you have Kate and Michael, but then you also have Kate and Danny, mm-hmm. and you have Michael and Ryan. You know, uh, these pairings. People have different levels of intimacy. You know, at one point, Danny says to to Michael, "It's like, you know, I love Kate in a way that you never will," and mm-hmm. that's totally a hundred percent true. Yeah. You know. Um, and it's it's acknowledging those the the ways that we are are linked to each other mm-hmm. um, uh, that I think makes the show like really fascinating. It's this dosy dough of partners, yeah. you know. Um, and so uh, in in showing Kate and Michael's friendship, you know, that being the primary relationship of the show, um, it was it was just about showing like how close they could be, so that when you do see them like falling apart or, or coming apart at the seams, it hurts and we are sad for it and we can see how difficult it is for, for them. Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, do Josh and Shoshana, do you have thoughts on sort of like that idea of relationship as bubble? Really, it's super easy as, especially as deaf people, when we're in a room full of hearing people, we easily get into our own bubble because we share the same language compared to the other people in the room. And so it's easy for us to get so connected to each other. And so when we started developing the web series with Super Deluxe, they noticed that. They noticed that like when I had ideas... You know, we we would kind of spin out on our own and everybody else in the room, even with the interpreters, it was like, can we jump in? Like, mm-hmm. do we, I mean, can we comment on that? So it's easy for deaf people in a room full of hearing people to kind of end up in their own bubble, as Andrew mentioned. And, and relationships become their own bubble. And I really like that idea. Mm. Our web series was called The Chances. Mm. 
And now, um, I love the episode that we actually call the chances in this new series, because what are the chances of meeting someone that you really connect with? Mm. You know, you're you're out in a room, you're out in a party or whatever, you could talk to anyone, but for some reason you feel very drawn to this one person and you talk to them the whole night long. And then a friendship develops from there or something even more happens. But that in itself is a strange connection. Like, why that person? Why mm. that particular individual? So I feel like that connection is a bubble unto mm. itself. And signing is a visual representation of that. Mm. Because that's why I hope everyone who watches the show can relate to that. I'm sure they can see a connection between other people, feel how they can feel um, reject, excluded, rejected. Um, and feel, oh gosh, I wish I had that thing that those two people have. I wish I was a part of that. Um, but because in this case, you know, these two characters sign, mm. you actually see it. It's a visual representation, an added layer of that. Um, something that added layer to something everyone's familiar with. One of the reasons why the Thanksgiving episode is one of my favorites. Um, it's a wonderful episode when everybody is together at Kate's house mm. and everybody takes turn discovering their own bubbles, sharing their spe- secrets, pushing each other. And Andrew had the idea that each character would pass that kind of sentiment along. So we went from one duo to another duo to another duo, almost like a dance. And that was such a great idea to visually represent that. Brilliant, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant idea. Has reflecting on this idea of connection made it less mysterious for you, the fact that some people we just instantly feel that connection with? Like, do you have new thoughts on that? Or is it still a kind of fascinating mystery to you? I have to say, this show never stops surprising me. Um, you would think, you know, we wrote it. We, we've we lived with these characters for nearly two years, which I know really isn't all that long when you think about it and think about how many different um, iterations it's been through. But um, the show just never stops surprising me. And when Andrew came into this, um, into it and saw the, saw the script in ways I had never seen, that surprised me. Mm. One scene that we wrote, we thought, oh my gosh, you know, it would be a throwaway scene for sure. It's just an add on, you know, and we would find, oh, we find out, gosh, that's the kind of relationship that Ryan and Michael actually have. Okay. In Palm Springs, we learned this piece of information, but the way he saw it, Andrew was so special and it became my favorite scene in basically the entire season. So I think in a way, everything became even more mysterious, mm. really, than what life is, even more alive than, than what we would have ever imagined. I was going to say the exact same thing, that um, there's something about this show that reveals like just the, the fortuitousness, you know, the kind of magic of like certain relationships, mm. you know, and, and I could see that in Josh and Shoshana's like real life friendship. I remember we did rehearsals in this space and, and we had them, you know, it was separate rehearsals. Um, but, uh, you know, Josh knocked over a lamp and then, um, Shoshana knocked over the same lamp an hour later. And I just was like, ah, like they're so psychically connected. It's like, really, we did yeah. that. Wait, what? what? I had no idea. Happened? Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, it was like in that like office space rehearsal room that we had. And I just, and they knocked over the same lamp and I was just like, uh, we kind of agreed. <laughs> no, we texted each other. Yeah, we did. Like, you do it, then I'll do it. I think for me, that just showed like, oh, like this is, it's like a really special friendship. And, and I'm so fortunate to work with um, actors, writers who are portraying this for, for people to watch. We are headed into the end of the show. So I, I have to ask my one dumb hearing person, possibly offensive question, which is there are a lot of scenes in this show where you're, you're bring it on, <laughs> <laughs> where you're doing sign language while driving. And that to me made me be like, hmm, does that? And I'm like, just tell me a little bit about that because that seemed unsafe to me, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Let you know, deaf people are proven to be safer drivers than hearing people, okay. statistically. <laughs> yes, it's, it's, um, we're not easily d- distracted by all the sound okay. that comes Excellent. into the world. You know, talking on the phone while driving, um, you're not really paying attention, whatever. It's, we're very much more visual. We're, we're experiencing driving as a visual experience. And I'm often struck by how much hearing people miss mm. 
like I was trying to wave somebody and say, look, look. And, and this person completely didn't even uh, give me a glance because they were experience they were experiencing the the sound you know to at the expense of of visual information that was there mm. so um i think because they're not using their visual sense as much as they should be perhaps mm. when they're driving deaf people also grow up well i think they have their depth of field is much more enhanced they're aware of things that are kind of happening really behind them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think, and while we're driving, we're very aware of what's going on around us, around our vehicle. So I think that's why we're... And I will say that we did shoot all the car scenes on a process trailer. So, you know, they weren't actually (laughs) driving. Sure, sure, sure. But crazy enough, we got into an accident. (laughs) A car. The driver was hearing the one who got into an accident, by the way. (laughs) A a Spanish tourist, like... Like was so um, entranced by the process trailer, they just like ran right into us. Oh no! <laughs> and it was yep. totally insane. Ripped off the bumper, even. <laughs> I know, with Marley Matlin in the car, and I was just like, "Oh god!" <laughs> I know, right? That was your first day. That, that was, was her first, first day. day. That's right. I know. Well, um, uh, we end every episode by asking our guests some of the same questions. So I'm going to ask each of you one of those questions. Andrew, who is the filmmaker you've learned the most from that you've never met, a living or dead? Oh, um, John Cassavetes. Why do you say that? I just love um, uh, the spirit of collaboration mm. um, and the willingness to show um, ugliness mm. um, and and to kind of live your work. Yeah, yeah. Josh, uh, what is the last book you read, movie you saw, just a cultural thing that you did, a pop culture, that when what did you think of it, basically? Hmm. The last book I read was called Spineless. Mm. It's a book about a woman who's doing research on jellyfish, mm-hmm. but it ends up changing her life. I mean, somehow she learned learning about the spineless creatures of jellyfish kind of helped her develop a spine of her own. That's the most random thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Josh <laughs> reads and watches so you're much. Welcome. His Instagram. Andrew, you're welcome. <laughs> His Instagram is like. Like I'm reading this book or I'm at the theater and I'm just like, God, I wish I could absorb everything. And and finally, uh, Shoshana, what is your favorite TV show and why, if, if you have one? Maybe you don't watch TV. Of all time? Of or all time. Of all time. Easy answer. My so-called life. Mm, what do you like about that one? I was just pretty much the same age mm. um, in high school as a character. And I think before that, I never really saw myself on a screen. I only saw people who felt like um, teenagers. Mm. They always seemed 30 years old to me, though. Mm-hmm. They looked like teenagers, but and they were perfect all the time. And to see that character on the TV show who looked like me mm. and really obvious was a representation, an authentic representation, um, of the character of um, Ricky, mm-hmm. I could just feel that authenticity. It, I could felt that it was there. Mm. There was no doubt. I didn't even have to like research anything. Hey, is that character real? A real life? You know, is there, are they having a real life experience? I just, I just knew it intuitively, yeah. and it had to be felt. Mm. It was something that had to be felt. So I actually saw myself in the character, in that character of Ricky, even though I'm not like her. In real life, but um, so it was just so beautiful. I like him. Well, one, uh, thank you very much for joining me. I want to say uh, I planned to watch two episodes last night and ended up watching all six and staying oh. up way too late. I really enjoyed it. It's a great show. Everybody should check it out. Uh, my thanks to Andrew and Josh and Shoshana. Thank you for joining me. This Close is on Sundance now. Thank, thank you. you. So thank you so much. <laughs> We're stepping out of the wine room now. We're back into the studio. All is lost. It's all done. I'm Todd Vanderwerf. I'm the host and executive producer of I Think You're Interesting. I'm going to read the closing credits now because it's time for the show to be over. Uh, hopefully my voice will lull you to sleep. Unless you're driving. That would be bad. Vox Podcasting is headed up by Marty Moe and Jackie Goldstein. Our executive producer of audio is Nishak Kurwa. Our sound designer is Miles Ewell. 
Our logo design is from Victor Ware, Crystal Stevens, and Georgia Cowley. Our production manager is Alex Allreich. Our production coordinator is Carrie Clements. Our audio engineering is thanks to P3 Post. This week's episode was recorded at the Langham Huntington Hotel in Pasadena, California. Our editor is Peter Leonard. Our recording engineer, as always, is Jay Brooks. You can rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play Music, on, I don't know, there's other platforms, but please do so. It helps us get great guests from all across pop culture. You can also, if you have something you don't want to leave in a review, you can write to me at todd at vox.com. You can also write to the show at ityi.podcast at vox.com. And you can tweet at me at Tavoti, T-V-O-T-I. We're going to be back next week with somebody from the world of arts and culture, uh, media, entertainment, somebody who I think is interesting. And spoiler alert, it's Oscar season. So we're going to start talking about some of that stuff. Uh, But until then, please remind me it's this close. It's not called This Is Close. I keep trying to call it This Is Close because this is us, obviously, but it's just this close. There's no is. If you see me on the street, just shout that at me. And I'll be like, oh, thank you. Thank you for the reminder, good citizen. Andrew Ahn, who came from indie film. I'm going to look up the movie he made right now. Please cut up the the part where I'm looking up the movie he made. Or make it an outtake. I don't know. 